Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this CHEST Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Gretchen Winter, your CHEST podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be an interesting discussion on ciliary disorders and bronchiectasis. So we're quite fortunate today to have Dr. Weiji Guan and Dr. Dayun Wang with us. Dr. Guan is a professor and the deputy director of the National Clinical Research Center for Respiratory Disease at the first affiliated hospital of Guangzhou Medical University. He received the 2022 Outstanding Young Scientist Award from the National Natural Science Foundation and is an associate editor of ERJ Open Research. And Dr. Wong is a professor and director of research in the Department of Otolaryngology at the National University of Singapore. He is also an associate editor for several allergy journals and a member of expert committees for several international and European guidelines and consensus reports. They and their colleagues wrote an article in the Chess Journal, Modal Ciliary Disorders of the Nasal Epithelium in Adults with Bronchiectasis. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Winter. <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're both welcome. So I'd like to start by asking you why you decided to study this. What was your question and why did you think it was important? Well, thank you very much. It's actually a very interesting question. To the best of the knowledge, bronchiectasis is characterized by the permanent dilatation of a tracheal bronchial tree, which resulted from the interaction between pathogen infection, defective uh, airway defense, and a recurrent airway infections. So typically, there exists a first-line defense mechanism for the normal human airways, and we have already become clear that the ciliated cells are the most crucial component of a first-line defense system. Uh, previous studies have suggested that the motile ciliary disorder not just uh, is present in congenital diseases, including the primary ciliary dyskinesia, but also in many other chronic airway inflammatory diseases as well, including allergic rhinitis, bronchial asthma, chronic rhinosinusitis, and including bronchiectasis as well. So typically, according to the vicious cortex theory, uh, as previously published in the Lancet uh, review article, that stipulates the role of uh, motile ciliary disorder in perpetuating the disease progression of bronchiectasis. Therefore, we come to the conclusion that motile ciliary disorder might be a common uh, phenomena and correlate with the disease severity of bronchiectasis. To this end, we aim to provide further insights into the association between defective airway defense and bronchiectasis and to illuminate further clinical practice to evaluate motile ciliary clearance as a possible diagnostic tool and explore any other possible novel targets for the therapeutic interventions. And that are the goals 
for us to conduct such a current study. Thank you. So what did we already know about modal ciliary disorders and their association with bronchiectasis before your study? Well, actually, this is also another uh, interesting question. So uh, to the best of knowledge, motile ciliary disorder uh, it represents an important component of defective uh, airway defense mechanism. It typically includes either the defective ciliogenesis or so-called the abnormal generation of a, a motile cilia or the abnormal ciliary ultrastructure or defective ciliary beating or both, which have consistently been implicated in the pathogenesis and progression of patients with bronchiectasis. Two studies have documented the ultrastructural abnormalities or the slow ciliary beating frequency or even the cyst-like structure, which possibly reflects of uh, cellular hypoxia leading to exonemal edema in patients with bronchiectasis, which is measured with electron microscopy and high-speed camera. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit about your study design? Yes, yeah, sure. With great pleasure. So with that uh, major objective and the rationale for the study, we have planned to do uh, the motor disorder characterization in patients with bronchiectasis. But prior to that, we have uh, worked together with Professor De Yun Wang, who is a professor at the university, uh, National University of Singapore, uh, that we have previously conducted a sub-study in patients with uh, severe asthma, uh, which is a pilot study documenting some pilot evidence pertaining to the motociliary disorder in patients who have eosinophilic and severe asthma. But that study suffered from some of the limitations, including the relatively small sample size and le- relative lack of characterization of the nature of motociliary disorder. So to address all those methodological limitations, we have planned to incorporate some of the major findings in terms of making a performing a comprehensive study. Now, this includes the first aspect. We have not only evaluated the patterns and the staining scores for four major ciliary markers, including the DNH5, ISPH9, the DNAI1, and the x but also we have determined the association with the disease severity and the upper and lower airway inflammatory antitypes of patients with bronchiectasis. The second thing is that we have uh, deliberately determined the uh, stability of the findings by performing a repeat sampling and six months apart from the baseline level to determine the stability of the ciliary staining patterns and staining scores. And the third aspect was that we determine whether the motile ciliary disorder might be confounded by the coexisting upper airway disease, including allergic rhinitis or chronic rhinosinusitis and other chronic airway diseases, in particular bronchial asthma. We also compare those with and without these coexisting diseases revealing no major differences in the expression patterns of all these ciliary markers. Uh, 
The fourth aspect was that we next determined whether multiciliary disorder of the upper airways could reflect that of lower airways, because typically this uh, we conducted the study by sampling of the upper airway uh, epithelium instead of the lower airways. The grounds for doing so was that we would consider performing bronchial biopsy would be relatively invasive, and which will also require uh, expert specialties and instruments. We have also um, gathered some of the surgically resected samples to determine uh, whether the motile disorder of the large to medium airways could reflect that of the smaller airways. Unfortunately, our findings were able to demonstrate no remarkable difference in terms of the expression patterns um, between these two distinct uh, anatomical locations of the airways. Next, we have also determined whether the immunofluorescence assays would um, findings would be typically consistent with that of the genetic disorders. But unlike those studies previously published in patients with uh, primary ciliary disorder, we found that most of the uh, ciliary disorders in patients with bronchiectasis were not related to the congenital disorders, but rather uh, secondary disorders. And finally, um, we have compared the paired uh, transmission electron microscopy findings in a subgroup of patients in comparison with that of uh, immunofluorescence assays. So uh, we were able to find that the ultradining arm defects were identified among all of the patients with a normal DNA H5 and DNA I1 staining, and that the motile ciliary disorder detected by the immunofluorescence assay can really be partially reflect that of the ultrastructural abnormalities. So to recap, what did you find regarding the frequency of modal ciliary disorders in patients with bronchiectasis? Yes, um, we have actually had an unexpectedly high uh, level of the uh, motile ciliary disorder, uh, even for the nasal epithelium in patients with bronchiectasis. Uh, in our study, uh, about more than 85% of the patients with bronchiectasis uh, in the, our total nasal brushing cohort had demonstrated at least certain level of evidence pertaining to the presence of motile ciliary disorder, and which uh, was also defined as any of the four cardinal ciliary markers being stained abnormally via the immunofluorescence assay. So most of these, uh, uh, abnormalities dealing with the ultrastructural markers, such as the defective expression of a DNH5. Uh, the DNH5 is also uh, notably an ultradinin arm marker, which um, significantly impacts on the uh, motile beat frequency as well as the beating patterns. So these are really the unexpected findings because uh, we were just meant to identify, if any, of the preliminary um, level of evidence regarding the uh, motile ciliary disorder, but that seemed to be a, a ubiquitous phenomenon. And 
What did you, how do the modal ciliary disorders that you identified differ from the known entity of primary ciliary dyskinesia, which can also cause bronchiectasis? Yes, exactly. So uh, one of the most striking findings was that uh, typically because characterization of the ciliary markers would meant to be characterizing somewhat in terms of the congenital instead of the secondary uh, uh, pathogenic changes to most of the clinicians. Uh, however, um, our findings prove all those were uh, most likely the, the illusions or misunderstandings. And specifically in our study, uh, we show that most of the ciliary disorders were secondary. That gives us a, 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 a hint uh, that these ciliary disorders might have resulted from either uh, chronic bacterial or viral infections or the insult of the inflammatory uh, markers. So in our study, uh, based on uh, the finite sample size of about uh, 70, uh, 37 patients with archived blood for performing the next generation sequencing, only a minority of these patients have a genuine biallelic DNAH5 mutation, while the DNAH5 staining abnormality was present in nearly three quarters of the patients. Similarly, we have also characterized the DNA I1 abnormality. So about one quarter of the patients had the staining abnormality, although none of the patients had biallelic DNA I1 mutations. And um, more than 60% of the patients yielded abnormal staining patterns of RSPH9, despite that none of the patients had the biallelic RSPH9 mutations. We uh, came to the conclusion that secondary motile ciliary disorder uh, accounted for approximately two-thirds of the whole study population with the mixed uh, motile ciliary disorder that is the primary plus secondary uh, disorder, accounting for uh, just 12.6%. And of course, another 12.6% of the patients did not have any evidence of motile ciliary disorder at all. So uh, we think that the primary ciliary disorder should be regarded as a congenital disorder with, with a really wide array of the ciliary marker being expressed abnormally. So most of the uh, detectable um, multiciliary disorders could be detected with the genetic testing. But that was really something that differed considerably from that of uh, uh, patients with bronchiectasis. And did coexisting diseases like sinus disease or asthma, did those affect your findings? Yes, exactly. I think it's really another interesting and important question. So uh, uh, to our knowledge, Professor Wang is uh, an expert in terms of an ENT. Uh, so previously, I have been a research uh, fellow at the National University of Singapore. And under the supervision of Professor Wang, we have uh, also characterized nasal uh, epithelia in terms of multiciliary disorders in uh, multiple diseases, including allergic rhinitis and chronic rhinitis. And in this study in particular, we aim to also um, characterize whether 
the uh, upper airway coexisting diseases such as uh, chronic rhinitis sinusitis could have markedly confounded our findings. Uh, in our study, um, chronic chronic rhinorhinositis was most common upper airway disease followed by allergic rhinitis. And we also found that of the uh, 167 patients in the nasal brushing cohort, only less, slightly less than 20% had the coexisting asthma. But um, motociliary disorder might not be confounded by the coexisting upper and lower airway diseases. Um, when we compare uh, the character, the expression patterns and expression scores of a ciliary um, markers, we did not identify any of the remarkable difference in terms of these two major metrics for all ciliary uh, markers. So what do these findings actually mean clinically? Like utilizing the results of your study, do you advocate for any changes in the diagnosis or management of patients with non-CF bronchiectasis? Yes, um, I think that although, as I have uh, mentioned just now, long-held misconception was that the defective serial marker expression would be deemed to invariably stem from primary ciliary disorder, and that uh, immunofluorescence assays cannot readily discriminate the primary from the secondary ciliary disorder. They do inform the clinicians with regard to the propensity or the magnitude of the defective motociliary clearance. So um, through the conduct of our study, we think that nasal brushing would become clinically appealing, uh, given that the motociliary disorder of the upper airways would actually reflect that of the lower airways according to the one airway, one disease theory. We have in our study simultaneously collected the uh, upper and lower airway epithelium from a subgroup of patients with bronchiectasis. Despite the considerable proportion of the coexisting upper airway diseases and asthma, the consistency in terms of the staining patterns between the upper and lower airways and between large to medium and smaller airways have consistently validated that nasal epithelium might be a surrogate for the bronchial epithelium to evaluate the motile ciliary uh, disorder. Um, I, I don't know whether Professor Wang would have uh, something to complement with all these remarks in terms of uh, clinical significance of our findings. Yeah, I, actually, thank you very much, uh, uh, Professor Guang Weijie, already explained very well. Actually, we discussed this uh, four years ago when uh, Weijie was uh, in our lab with a special interest for, for, for ciliary function. So we, we already discussed it. So whether it's possible, because the, the concept of one airway, one disease, and then at least the upper and lower airway, the association is a very, very clearly for many uh, inflammatory disease. So we are already thinking whether, you know, we, we start screening or, or something from the, from the upper airway which uh, more simply uh, easier for the, and also the minor invasive. So, and then we have been discussed this, uh, 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 all the po uh, possibilities. And now I'm really glad the VJ has done this one and then making this uh, 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 clearly a very solid uh, data to demonstrate 
So if it's something from the nose, and definitely we can be uh, a part reflect the lower airway. I'm sure this uh, contribute uh, significantly to the clinical diagnosis. Thank you. Can you all please discuss some of the limitations of your study? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, there are a number of uh, lim major limitations of our study design, despite the notable strengths in, um, we have uh, mentioned previously. Now, the first one, it should be noted that uh, we still suffer from a relatively finite number of auxiliary markers being examined in our study. And we did have a relatively small sample size of patients with both upper and lower airway samples. So um, I think in the future, more uh, serial markers should be profiled. For example, uh, I have also previously reviewed a, a research letter published in a YAJ documenting uh, the multi-serial order of other serial genesis markers revealing the possible uh, role of other seriogenesis marker in terms of mo modulating the pathogenesis of early stage instead of end stage COPD. And uh, I also think that the immunofluorescence assays are not really the direct measure of a seriogenesis beating patterns, but they uh, have also been recognized as an important surrogate measures uh, because of a potential association that have been reported previously, for example, including the article published by uh, from the Professor Wang De Yun's group, uh, including those in the JACI. Uh, in our study, because of a limited volume of the nasal epithelium being sampled, um, we cannot further perform qPCR validation because yeah. uh, IFSA can only profile in terms of a protein expression instead of uh, mRNA expression levels. And, and next, we also think that ascertaining the nature of multi disorder, um, either as a transcriptional change only or the epigenetic changes only, will help. Uh, help further identify the possible mechanism of the ciliary injury. And uh, finally, I personally think that the mechanistic investigation, uh, for example, the molecular underpinnings of our uh, clinical phenomenon observations would be needed to justify all these comprehensive clinical observations. And I also uh, wonder whether Professor Wang could also uh, add uh, just a couple of uh, comments on the potential limitations of our study. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, Vijay has uh, explained very well. So uh, I think one major uh, um, limitation is uh, our brushing, nasal brushing technique, because we are not able to obtain enough sufficient RNA and, and protein. Because uh, otherwise, uh, uh, because by brushing, we, we can do very well. This uh, uh, IF means uh, uh, staining and to see the structure of this uh, key uh, um, uh, ciliary, uh, like, um, uh, DNH5 and uh, all these, uh, seriogenesis markers, few markers, but we are not able to do more. So I, I think this is a good challenging, uh, 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 point. So probably in future, we, we have to design the other way, probably will include, as we just say, we are, we, we need more markers, but um, on the other way, probably will think about the sampling. So if we can have enough sufficient uh, RNA and then also uh, protein, we'll do better. Thank you. So what, what unique contributions to the literature does this study make? What do we know now that we didn't know before? 
Yes, exactly. I think、um, this is an important question that we would have to address, as we have、uh, mentioned previously. Most housiliary disorder is found to be rather common and mostly secondary in patients with bronchiectasis, which should be regarded as、uh, one of the most unexpected finding of all. Yeah,、uh, we have also、uh, found that、uh, most of the Theory、uh, expression patterns were highly repeatable over time, and were mostly consistent between the upper and、uh, lower airways, and unaffected by the upper and lower airway inflammatory phenotypes.、Um, also, the multicellular、uh, expression patterns were unaff-、uh, unaffected by the coexisting upper or lower airway. Diseases, so this gives us a really robust evidence pertaining、uh, to the evidence that the、uh, characterization of upper airways might give us an important hint about the、uh, disorder of the lower airways. And furthermore, we have also、uh, found a weak instead of a strong、uh, correlation between the theory、uh, disorder and the bronchitis severity, although the.、Uh, Precise mechanism remains largely unclear.、Uh, we suspect that these were most likely because of an already prominent multicellular disorder in virtually all patients with、uh, eosinophilic inflammation who had mild bronchiectasis.、Um, Professor Wang, do you have、um, anything to add further?、Uh, actually, yeah.、Uh, we 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 in in the airway study usually we. When we look at the multicellular disorders, and then often relate to the uh, primary uh, cities like a、uh, primary ciliary dyskinesia, and、uh, actually we just we have discussed many times、uh, four five years ago. We already di- discussed、yes. many times and then really extensively. So we thought airway is a first line defense to the all this microbiome, and then. All these、uh, significant uh, 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 characteristic of inflammation, so it should be the secondary. So in that moment, moment we we did not have enough evidence. So now it's very good. We have really solid evidence and demonstrate the first of all in up airway. Really, if you're sampling on up up airway, you you definitely you see a very high number percentage. It is surprising high. This MCD. And as well, we also find find、uh, we found the high percentage of this、uh, secondary MCD. I, I'm sure this is quite a, a significant contribute to the literature. Yes, thank you. So, what are the next steps for research on this topic? I think an important next step for our research would be to identify. The core panel of theory markers, especially those of a seriogenesis marker, that best reflect the multicellular、uh, disorder in patients with bronchitis. Because typically in our study, we、uh, mostly selected the theory markers that、uh, were mostly known to us all.、Uh, for example, DNH five is a best known、uh, marker reflecting the outer di- exonemal. Uh, dining arm marker, and、um, so we have currently suffered from a limited number of、uh, serial genesis marker. We have only profile extreme expression, which turn out、uh, not to be such a, a, a exciting finding in terms of patients in bronchitis. Although、uh, decrease 
X-ray expression has been reported in patients with uh, severe asthma, especially those who have uh, severe eosinophilic asthma. And we have also um, we would also have to consider applying uh, the transcriptional assay that would otherwise help uh, further validate our finding with respect to the protein expression levels of these markers. Because currently, we really don't know whether these changes are epigenetic or uh, protein changes or even further transcriptional uh, changes. So uh, by performing also further the in vitro a cellular assessment would allow for a better understanding about how the pathogens could have directly damaged all these ultrastructural or cytogenesis uh, um, pathogenesis. Thank you. So as we finish up this discussion, can you each please give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away? What have you learned from your experiences and the study and that you want them to leave this discussion with? Yes, and I personally think that because, as mentioned previously, motile disorder is rather common and mostly secondary in patients with bronchiectasis and could be readily detected in the nasal epithelium. So, for the ultrastructural abnormalities, which was notable in patients with mild uh, bronchitis who had uh, blood or sputum eosinophilia, we would still have a lot to do in terms of identifying the possible causes contributing to these um, exciting and unknown findings. Uh, as have also previously been reviewed by some of the British investigators. And we think that our finding might fuel further research interest in terms of identifying the treatable traits of the airway epithelium, apart from interfering with the airway microbiome or the inflammatory responses alone, as we would have typically practiced in our daily clinical uh, grand rounds. Uh, Professor De Yun Wang, what would you think in terms of uh, um, providing our readers the potential clinical relevance of our finding from the perspective of an uh, ENT expert? Yeah, thank you. Actually, we 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 know this uh, uh, multicellular disorders is it happens in the uh, airway inflammatory or infectious disease, but actually we do not know how common the most people in 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 the um, uh, in the literature or in the clinical experience, we all thought this probably is more related to the primary uh, ciliary dyskinesia and then all these are primary genetic. But looks like, uh, and then uh, with the Professor Guan, we, we have discussed many times. So this probably is more common and also relate to the secondary. So we all know this uh, 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 respiratory uh, 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 is a first line defense to microbial, and then actually in our in vitro study, we already demonstrate the virus infection. Even now, some common b- uh, bacteria, uh, uh, pneumococci uh, 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 infection, which may cause ciliary damage. And then we always pick out the number one is the DNA H5. So exactly this one also we reflect in this study. So means which give us a really a, a good sign and in, in future research, both from clinical and, and, and basic uh, research. I think we all agree. And the, the final point, it means we try to find a target. If this is a secondary, 
is a common uh, uh, disorders which relate to the all, not only the lower and the upper and lower airway disease. And then we try to find the common, uh, the, the, how say the therapeutics, uh, uh, target. If we can do so, then we really can be, you know, really benefit to the, to the clinical practice. Thank you. Well, a big thank you to both Dr. Guan and Dr. Wong for a great conversation on an interesting topic. And a big thank you to our chest community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chest podcast. Until next time.